and welcome back everyone to another episode of Going for Two presented by Home Field Apparel. I am your host, the publisher of the Extra Points newsletter, Matt Brown. I'm joined here as always by my colleague and co-host Brian Fisher. Uh, how you holding up, buddy? I'm doing good. I, I know everybody, you know, this is not a football month, but I, I think the kind of early part of March, maybe one of the more fate, one of my favorite times on the calendar. You, you got obviously March Madness. You got basketball tournaments out the wazoo. You got midday basketball, as we talked about yeah. last time. We got Champions League and soccer. The NBA is kind of coming down to the crunch time for uh, things. We, we just came off the combine and in the NFL free agency already about to kick off and some wild trades in the NFL. Like uh, this is a pretty jam packed uh, sports calendar right now. And, and I'm, I'm loving it. Uh, just kind of following along. It, I think it gets a little bit more fun like two weeks from now, but the beginning definitely is 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 definitely great. And, and also, this is the time of year when spring allegedly starts. It's when you start getting into some more 40 degree days. We've had like two different false springs in Chicago over the last week and a half. Like was a couple of days ago, I went to the playground in gym shorts and like a hoodie. You get the vitamin D coming back. I don't have to have the happy light kind of behind my studio here blasting for six hours a day. So I don't walk in front of a truck. Like this is, this is pretty good. This is, this is a, uh, this, this is, this is pretty good. Um, while there's still a gajillion administrative things happening, obviously the, the major story storyline within the college athletics universe would be the NCAA tournaments for both men's and women's basketball. I, I, I uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. I've noticed that the, the branding for the women's tournaments has, has already changed. Now it's just unified March madness. You don't have the, uh, the, the women's signage in front of all the logos anymore, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's obviously a change that was precipitated by the gender equity report that came out. One of the big recommendations that I think everybody understood was yeah. something that had to be done, you know, really to, to kind of bring that parity between the two. And, um, you know, look, you, you follow along with this and, and you talk with folks and, and you understand there's been a real effort, um, you know, on, on account of the NCA and everything that goes into that apparatus in terms of, you know, making sure things are equitable. You know, it's, it's even going down to the gift baskets. You know, they're, they're comparing them side by side this year. There's really been some really close coordination between the two men's and women's basketball committees, uh, even beyond just kind of the branding element and using March Madness and all that, um, you know, those, those committees have met more, uh, I think, in the past two months than they did uh, in previously in, in years, you know, at a time. You know, it might be one or two joint meetings a year or, or a semester, and now you're talking about more regular meetings. So I think the the closer cooperation has led to some some productivity in terms of the branding, the the awareness, um, you know, of of the women's side of the basketball. And, and let's face it, I mean, if if you ended up seeing that that thrilling end to the SEC tournament uh, or Kentucky upset uh, South Carolina women's basketball. I think everybody's going to be tuning in a little bit more this year because it's uh, some, some pretty interesting uh, things happening there at the, at the top of the, the sport as well, uh, as well as what's happening as we kind of transition into tournament time here. Yeah, we, we've actually been trying to track down some women's basketball experts to talk through ahead of the of the tournament. We 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 uh, like we've been, we've missed a couple people with travel schedules and everything. We hope to, to do that and give that event the room to, to, to grow uh, on this podcast in and of itself. Uh, but, but you're right. I, mean, well, I saw this earlier today, the big 10 uh, network put out a statement saying like, listen, this was overwhelmingly uh, our most watched women's basketball season. I mean, having Caitlin Clark helps that, you know, did, or did that, that's a, a national name. Uh, you have a tournament where UConn has looked mortal, but they might still be amazing because they haven't totally been healthy. You have an a, 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 like extremely good NC State team, which you haven't had in a minute. A couple of the other powerhouses are, are, are still strong. Like that's that is is going to be a very interesting event. And then now we have many of the mid and low major men's tournaments wrapping up, more continuing on this weekend into next week. And uh then then we'll we'll end up with our tournament. And I am uh I don't enjoy the major conference tournaments for the men's side as much, I think, as other people do. And, and I think part of that is because I grew up in Big Ten country, and the Big Ten tournament's usually the last one to finish. Like, they announced the bracket four hours, three hours after the fin the game. And when you're watching it, everyone kind of knows that the game doesn't really matter. Like, uh, it, it maybe it might move you one seed line. Probably not, uh, unless, it, you know, Northwestern's playing and they're going to steal a bid. And, and, and that's kind of the dirty little secret with – a couple of the major tournaments, despite what the, you know, what, what, they, what they might say in the, in the in the mock drafts, but in, in the low majors and the mid majors, it's extremely important because you're only going to get one team, and you're going to hear a lot over the next two weeks about why it's important financially to win that bid, why it's important for your university, uh, their institutional goals, for their marketing plan, for their enrollment if they get that bid, particularly if they actually win. 
And I want to go ahead and telegraph my punch a little bit. I'm going to be writing about this for extra points probably several times once the men's tournament actually begins because I think there's a lot of uh, – uh, maybe, I don't want to say lazy journalism. I don't, I don't think that's the right word. But there, there are a couple of tropes that people fall into that maybe don't necessarily stand up to actually looking at the numbers a little bit. You know, one of those uh, is the the Flutie effect. You, you know what the Flutie effect is, right, Brian? Absolutely. I, I think maybe the most popular thing that people outside of college athletics could could probably recognize and tell you about just a little bit. You know, I think just yeah. in terms of they, they may not even know Doug, who Doug Flutie is anymore. You know, I think that that's the, the funny thing. But um, obviously popularized by the, you know, back in Boston College, uh, upsetting Miami those days and seeing the uptick in applications thanks to sports success. But, um, you know, I think everybody nowadays does realize and, and you hear it all the time that that university athletics is, is now the front porch uh, for your school. And uh, I think that's kind of um, directly comes from you know, all the all the talk about the Flutie effect. Yeah, and and unlike I think many other intersections of college sports and uh, the university administ- administrations, this is one of those things that not only has been written about a lot in like popular sports press, but there's also been some actual academic research into it over multiple years. So you're, you're right. Like the 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 TLDR, the Flutie effect, is this idea that if it, of a university has extra uh, uh, it has an uh, un, unprecedented, unexpected success athletically. Typically in football and men's basketball, there's a little bit of this for women's basketball. That immediately thereafter, they will see an explosion in uh, applications, in the academic quality of those applications, in uh, fundraising and alumni engagement and, and many of those other variables. And, and this gets brought up a lot when you talk to schools thinking about maybe reclassifying to Division One or uh, athletic directors or university presidents talking about why they have a division one athletic department to begin with. And I will say, despite my built-in skepticism of some of this stuff, like there is evidence to suggest it is real in the short term. When Butler makes the NCAA championship game, their applications did go up. This happened at Gonzaga over multiple years. It definitely happened at Loyola. You're just up the road here from where I am in Chicago. Uh, the first couple of years that that happened. And it's funny, I remember I was, I want to say a junior at Ohio State when American University made the tournament for the first time. And I spent my freshman year at American U, and I grew up in, in Licking County, you know, Pataskala, Granville, Newark, Ohio. And nobody had ever heard of American U uh, where I grew up. And that was, it was one of the reasons I ended up actually transferring back to Columbus, back to Ohio State, because I figured, why am I spending all this money for this expensive private school? that nobody in my, where I've heard of, I, I grew up has ever heard of. If, if I grew up in like Hagerstown or Bethesda or Arlington, I think a lot of people would have heard of American, uh, but that, you know, that wasn't my world. But when they made the tournament my junior year and lost to Villanova, I want to say, and they were, it was like a two point game at halftime. Uh, suddenly people that I, I were in my world were coming up to me talking about American and, and, and where, you know, where I had gone to school. And, and these were things like, Oh, this is what people at, big schools have their whole life. And I understand why that would be attractive and appealing. And that's going to be a cool moment, I think, for anybody in your life who went to Longwood or went to Uwe Pui or went to, is, is that how they're calling it still? Or is it IUPUI? Or I've always heard IUPUI. But okay. IUPUI. derogatory version. Well, I wouldn't want to besmirch. Um, any uh, any any IUPUI fans, but right if you're if you're one of those schools that might be makes the tournament once every thirty years, twenty five years, twenty years, being involved here is a big deal. Even if you can't necessarily quantify that, you and I we went to big sports powerhouses. That's not maybe something we could necessarily always re- relate to, but we know people who went to other schools who get to have a moment like this, and that's kind of cool, right? Well, I mean, just on on our Connect platform, I was talking about the the Valpo AD job. Um, for, you know, for those that uh, are not familiar, Valparaiso. Um, you know, right, right, uh, not too far from from not, where not, you're at. Not too far. Yeah, that's that's oh, almost uh, Chicago. I mean, when when you hear Valpo and you hear hear it, you know, around this time of year in in March, you hear about the shot. You know, and and yeah. just and I was talking with somebody just how the Drew family. Um, you know, obviously all three three they had three coaches that have come through there. Obviously, uh, the, the historic shop during the NCAA tournament, but like just how much of that kind of hovers over the university as um, really being connected and, and synonymous almost with that name. Not just this time of year, but you know, if you ask somebody randomly on the streets, you know, about Valpo, um, if they're going to pick out one 
one thing, it's probably going to be that shot, you know, and, and that incredible yeah. moment uh, during March Madness. And to me, um, you know, that that is a great blessing. It can also be a curse for some others, um, but it does kind of speak to the fact that, um, you know, you can have one moment here in March and it, and it can really uh, kind of rebrand your university. And I think that's kind of associated with the, the fluid effect, certainly um, just the, the awareness. I think that March Madness provides for a lot of these schools. I mean, it, it, where you are coming down to a decision time for, for a lot of you know high school students out there. And, and certainly you're already seeing acceptance numbers. You're seeing uh, admissions numbers. I, I saw the other day that UCLA put out again that they were you know, the most applied to and one of the most selective schools, uh, you know, in, in the country. Uh, so it, you just, it's getting that time of the year and you add this, this sporting element to it. And, and I think it just makes it uh, definitely fascinating if you're, whether you're, you're a high school student trying to figure out where to go and uh, maybe you're not quite sure in terms of what academic programs you want, you want to get onto, um, you know, having a good basketball team, having a good football team, just bringing that awareness, um, you know, to your university can be a big thing. I don't think there's anything that Florida Gulf Coast University as an institution can do in our entire lifetimes that will be more impactful for anybody outside of that immediate zip code than Florida Dunk Coast. They could create astronauts. They could graduate the next Jeff Bezos. They could uh, host any number of gubernatorial and national political debates. But if you ask somebody who was old enough to remember to this 15 seed dunking Georgetown into oblivion and then laughing about it. That's what it's going to be forever. Uh, and, and so the, these are, these are positive things. I, I, we could probably think of maybe some, some uh, more challenging ones as, as you kind of, as you kind of dig through there. That's, this is, this is true. The, the math is also a little bit, uh, is also, I mean, not a little bit, that's also clear. This isn't sustainable. Um, you don't you don't get the glow of the Florida Dunk Coast brand forever, you know. Especially if a couple of years later you've changed coaches, you're bad. Um, then you know you people remember that you're Florida Dunk Coast, and they're like, oh wait, you finished sixth in the A Sun, or you, you don't get that same boost. And if you if you don't uh, the, the if your performance does not uh, grow or exceed previous expectations, then you won't either. Gonzaga is not going to get a boost for making the round of 32. Um, that's the baseline. You're supposed to make the final four now. Like you're not the plucky underdog anymore. Now you're chartering flights and you're you're signing the number one recruit in the country. Uh, so the the, the uh, what you have to do you know, grows a little bit here. So you can't really count on that as being any kind of sustainable strategy for your university. Um, if it happens, it's a beautiful little accident, and you cherish it, and you print the t-shirts, and you and you savor the memes, but. You can't control what happens. I, I, you know, we might go another 50 years without Florida Gulf Coast winning another NCAA tournament game, right? And like, that's not to crap on them. It's just winning a game in the NCAA tournament is really hard. There are Power Five programs that haven't done it. Like, I don't think Nebraska's done it yet, right? Like, they might have only made the tournament like twice. Northwestern's only done it once ever. Like, it's it's not easy to do. I was at the Northwestern game, as a matter of fact, uh, back when they did that. Uh, um, you know, it, it's funny, too, because there is such a pressure for these universities to get students. I mean, it, it's competitive right now. Um, you know, I think that's kind of the underlying thing that, um, you know, people maybe overlook a little bit is that for fear the university president, whether it's big state, you know, university institution or whatever, you're facing a lot of enrollment pressures. And this is a differentiator. You know, it's it's almost you know, kind of marketing for the university that does, you know, have the ability for you to kind of separate yourself from some of your peers, certainly regionally and locally, but, but also nationally, you know, especially if you're some of those small private schools that, um, you know, you, you do want to be competitive for students, both in state and out of state, um, you know, athletics is a way to do that. And I think it's also, you know, keep in mind, we, we talk about the fluidity effect when it comes to enrollment for students, but, uh, you know, I think there, there's a small effect. It probably hasn't been studied all that often because nobody will, will truthfully say it, but like, you know, you mentioned Loyola Chicago there, you know, I think in terms of conference realignment, you know, I think that that has been a big, their March success, you know, ha, has been a big part of their story. You know, I think Un you, unquestionably. Yeah, you have the, that success and you keep building over time and, and you show that you are not just one one program, not just one coach. You know, you are kind of bigger than that, you know, and, and you do have that historical success and, and you do have that marketability. You know, that, that is attractive for other leagues. So it's it's not just um, in terms of raw student numbers and, and applications and all that. Um, it really is a, a university wide impact, um, you know, from your athletic department uh, all the way to your admissions office. Yeah, that's why George Mason is not in the Colonial Athletic anymore. It's because they had yeah. multiple deep runs into March. Now, again, 
how you can sustain that across multiple coaching changes and having to increase your athletic department spending and all these other things. That's that that's difficult. You know, Loyola might be the best case example, and you know we'll we'll see what happens because this is a pretty senior laden team when they they start playing in a more challenging league and uh, and you have to recruit a little bit differently. But for now, and they're going to be dancing again. It's a cool story. Yeah, uh, I mentioned Val talking about Valpo. Yeah. I mean, they they were, they were they used to be in the Summit League and or what was you know now the Summit League went to the Horizon. Now they're in the MVC, so it's like they they they've been a success story, kind of riding, uh, you know, not only the t- coattails of that that one uh, historic moment, but they've built on that success. They've had success over the years um, with some of the other true brothers coaching it. But um, you know, they, yeah. they've been able to kind of parlay that into um, some bigger things, and and now as a result. They're, they're having to compete in, in a much tougher league and they are finding some struggles. They, they're going to have to figure that out. That's something the new AD um, is, is going to be at the top of their wish list in terms of um, priorities is uh, fixing basketball and making sure they can get back to the level they're accustomed to. But um, you know, it's all kind of part of this uh, runway as uh, everybody kind of aims their, their, their sights pretty high. Um, you know, you, you got to make sure you're focused on, on, on what's going on now, but uh, also th- these type of runs in March um, can, can have a huge effect down the road. Beyond just your ability to potentially recruit new students and get marketing exposure and maybe reevaluate, you know, change the trajectory of where your your school might go conference wise. There's also on the men's basketball side, the way things are set up right now, a literal bag of money that comes from this. You may have, uh, if you're a college basketball fan, you're probably familiar with the concept of tournament units. And, uh, you know, Brian, correct me if I am explaining this incorrectly, but but broadly speaking, um, your conference gets a check for every uh, team from your league that makes the NCAA tournament and for every game that they win. Uh, so the Big Ten, it's going to get eight, nine teams in the tournament. They're going to get a bigger check than the Big South that might get one. But if you're at a, at a low major league and your your one team makes a run, wins a couple of games you get extra units and some leagues distribute that money equally. Some leagues give that money disproportionately to the team that earned it. It it depends, but that could mean hundreds of thousands of dollars more in revenue uh, over a multiple year period because units are paid out over six years. So making the sweet 16 as a Missouri Valley team or a West coast conference team or, 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 uh, you know, some other kind of mid-major isn't just about long-term administrative wide benefits, but, like literally this could pay for your uh, Olympic sports budget, you know, over the next two years, if you do well or someone else in your league does well. Right. Yeah. I mean, and I think it's important to keep in mind the, the, the unit, when you hear that explained, that's, you know, that, that could be 300 plus to $400,000 that like, that's the actual unit, but it is paid over, you know, six years. So you, you have a great tournament run as a conference. Um, you know, like you look at last year and in, in the PAC 12, the, the incredible run that they had with UCLA and Oregon state and USC going all far, you know, that they collected 19 units last year. That, that's almost $40 million to the conference, you know, spread out over, over a period. And you think, all right, well, that, that, that's great. They're you know, power five school, um, you know, when you're talking about kind of cutting the revenue gaps between them and say the ACC or the Big Ten, that uh, matters. That, that's yeah. what you're saying. I mean, that that's nearly, uh, let's see, almost twice as much as as the ACC. Uh, ended up taking in. So, um, you know, that, that that's a huge, if you're talking about shrinking revenue gaps, you look at certainly the Big East, some of the, the basketball-centric conferences, it's a huge portion of what their conference distributions are. You know, just coming into the, uh, the those units coming in and having success in the NCAA tournament. And when you're talking about the, really the, the lower end Division One, uh, you know, campuses and, and, and universities, you're talking about, um, you know, th- those are some big, um, you know, outlays, you know, in terms of uh, if you can get, get, a, get a surprise win or two or anything, you can make it to the second weekend. Um, you know, you're talking about uh, you know six figures distributed to multiple campuses, and that that can help so much when you're talking about facilities, renovations. You know, installing or, a new basketball court. You know, or schedules, like right? Like, the, yeah. I mean, sixty-five grand means hey, that's one less body bag game you have to play. That's one less trip to UCLA if you're a school in Virginia to get the, the crap kicked out of you because you need to collect the check. You do well here, or potentially one of your conference peers does well here, and depending on how things are, are distributed, that could mean a much easier life for you two or three years down the road. 60 grand goes a long way at that level. Yeah, um, I mean, think, think about like your, your track team or something and just your expenses are related to that. You know, this is a way you can kind of help pay for it. If, if your track team needs some resurfacing or, or you know, n- another assistant coach, maybe those tournament revenue, uh, you know, units that you were maybe not counting on in your budget end up coming through. I mean, that, that that's a, uh, certainly a way that a lot of these smaller schools can end up paying for things that uh, they maybe weren't expecting. 
So it, it, uh, I think it's important to point out, though, that this is the status quo, and there's not any reason to believe that this is necessarily going to continue uninterrupted forever. Um, there's a couple reasons for this. One, going back to that gender equity report from last year with the men's and women's tournaments, one point that was repeatedly raised is, why does the men's tournament get a payout and the women's tournament doesn't, or literally any other tournament? Um, and uh, even though the women's tournament generates revenue and is going to continue to generate more revenue and, and it may even be uh, sold as a, as a standalone pro broadcast product moving forward once the, the current deals expire, um, we should that that should be equitable. You know, schools make hiring decisions and conference alignment decisions and structural decisions based in part on their ability to maximize these payouts. We've had conference leaders from the Patriot League uh, I, I, to the what, WCC to other, other folks say, like, this system is does not equitable or fair. And that is something that could be revisited in the Transformation Committee. I have seen proposals to um, decrease the amount of money for the men's tournament share and, and create a women's tournament share. I've also seen proposals to get rid of the uh, shares, period, to, to allow things to be equitable and, and, and transmit or share that money as some kind of general block. The other issue that I have heard explained to me, and I think this has been the case for you too, Brian, is looking into the NCAA Transformation Committee, when we hear power five schools or big schools talk about wanting more autonomy, they're usually talking about wanting more money. And a big part of that comes from the men's, particularly the men's basketball tournament, but other tournaments too, if they think, if you're a major school, if you're a Pac-12 school or, or an ACC school or an SEC school, and you think, why are we, it's, it's one thing to, to invite everybody to the tournament, and, and, and then give all of the big Souths and, and the, uh, the WACs and, and the MEACs some of that tournament money. But the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight, the, the teams with the extra NBA players, they're almost always coming from us. We're the ones that actually make the entire engine go. Why should we guarantee revenue shares for teams that are never going to crack a 15 seed line and are going to lose 94 out of 100 games? Why shouldn't more of that money go towards us? And whether that conversation changes because uh, and, and means the automatic bid structure is revisited or the size of the tournament is revisited or what a unit is, is revisited. I think there's a real chance in three or four years that this current surprisingly egalitarian system for sharing revenue from this big tournament. I don't think it's going to look the exact same way that it does, because there's a lot of people who have their hands out right now asking for more of that money. Yeah, I'd almost say there's zero percent chance that uh, the current structure um, is is going to stay in place, just based on the on the talks that I've had, based you know from not only the D1 Transformation Committee, but I think there is some real movement to where, especially on the women's side, to either have that financial incentive, you know, to where you you know if you do do better, you can get some more money. Um, yeah, I think there's obviously a lot of talk about uh, those rights and, and what they mean, and yeah. when a new TV contract, when a new marketing contract um, ultimately gets sold separately, um, what that influx of cash and, and how it's going to be distributed. And I think there's there's been a lot of talk around um, you know kind of mirroring what the men do right now, but I think it's all kind of part of these holistic changes that the transformation committee is looking in. One that I think a lot of folks are definitely interested in in terms of just like what is this going to mean for me in like six or seven years, you know? And, yeah. and I think um, you know it's important to keep in mind. Look, the NCA this is not this is the primary maybe distribution dr driver um, from that big March Madness contract and everything that they have. There are other units that they are not units, but there are other kind of like buckets they can distribute money out of. Um, um, you know, other funds that they they have, you know, there, there's things like officiating that they uh, dole out money for to conferences and, and, and various schools. Um, you know, certainly the student athlete uh, uh, fund as well is, is another way that uh, they can kind of funnel some money down, uh, kind of down through the system, if you will. But I think everybody is focused primarily on what is that March Madness spigot going to look like, you know, in, in a couple of years time. And you're absolutely right. I mean, it really, it really does run the gamut in terms of some of the suggestions that we've had. The key, key thing in, in my mind is ultimately who's going to agree to all this, you know, is, is yeah. it just going to be the power five or is there going to be that angst and, and that uh, discussion between them and some of those one triple A conferences that uh, maybe are only basketball centric, that obviously this is their lifeblood. And so I think there's, there's going to be a lot of debate. I think it'll be healthy. I think for everybody involved, just to kind of get it all out in the open uh, at some point in the next couple of months. But um, you know, you're right. This is going to be a unique time. And when we've talked about when teams are jumping up from D, D1, 
part of that unknown is ultimately what is that revenue split going to be? Because division one itself has been growing. And so that, that pie is getting a little bit smaller uh, piece by piece and how that's going to ultimately get um, redistributed down the road is, is something that uh, we're going to be talking about a lot, I think over the next couple of months and a couple of years. Yeah, it, it is a great point. We've, we've already seen now a couple of schools make that big leap of faith. One, without the complete certainty what their league is going to look like in five or six years. I don't think anybody can tell you that. And then two, yeah, what, what, how much money they're going to be getting. Because they have a general idea about how much they're going to need to be spending, which is more. Um, and you can make an assumption of what your future revenue is going to look like. But we don't know what the transformation community is going to look like yet. Hey, if you're listening and you've got some ideas about this, I'm at Matt at ExtraPointsMB.com. My DMs are also open. Happy to talk about it. Well, and, and it's not just basketball that we're thinking about this revenue distribution policy. It's football too, right? You know, yep. like the in the college football playoff, you know, they distribute money to the Sun Belt, even if they don't end up making, um, you know, the, the actual, uh, you know, final four, the Sun Belt's getting part of that money. Conference USA is getting some of that money. Army, Notre Dame, they're, they're getting payouts as well. And, and it's, it's less, less like the NCAA tournament system, but that's likely to change as well. You know, not only in terms of the percentage of, the, of those payouts, the amounts of those payouts, um, that's another thing that a lot of people are probably keeping an even closer eye on because of the amounts involved. Um, but that was a you know a big holdup for the Pac-12. They've yeah. made no, no bones about it that, you know, they, they were trying to sign up for something that they, they didn't understand what the revenue, revenue sharing was going to be, um, you know, in 2026 and beyond. Um, you know, I think that that issue is going to pop up again and again as well on the football side, not just on the basketball side. So you got, you got two really, really big buckets of money that are certainly coming schools ways, but how it ultimately reaches them. Ultimately, how is how is that uh, paid out? How is that uh, distributed? How is that uh, percentage split? Um, nobody really knows. And there's been a lot of discussion and a lot of talk. And I think that is uh, keeping a lot of folks up at night because, um, you know, you're talking about uh, your budget, not just three or four years from now, but in the next 10, 15, 20 years, uh, having that uncertainty, uh, that's something that uh, nobody really wants. You, know, you can under- live with some uncertainty on the court and the, the kind of changing nature of, of, of college sports. But yeah. when it comes to that money uh, aspect, uh, th- that is a whole different ballgame. You know, speaking of uncertain future revenue distributions, uh, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors here today, Envelopes of Cash. Uh, Brian, are, are you are you a big board game guy? I got two, two little kids, so I'm sure we'll get right back into that when they're they're of age. Yeah, there's there's definitely going to be some some candy land and shoots and ladders, I think, in, in your near term future. Oh, yes. Uh, that's definitely part of my life. But. I, I, I own Settlers of Catan. I, I have Ticket to Ride. I have a, and, and like my, a lot of my in-laws and uh, other people in my social circle are really into this stuff. I feel like this is uh, getting really into complicated board games is like secretly part of Mormon culture. <laughs> I think, I don't know if it's like you can't, you can't drink and you have people over. So I don't know, let's go play some Belgian board game that, that takes a long time. I, I, I like those things and I like college football. And I like the weird stuff about college football, which is why like, I'm excited about Envelopes of Cash because that is the, uh, the really the intersection of a Euro-style resource trading game, the kind of game that's going to get you like really spitting angry at somebody across the table, which makes for like a fun experience, and the weirdness of a rival's message board. Uh, or, or tracking the intricacies here of college football recruiting. It, it comes from a longtime reader and friend of the podcast, friend of the newsletter, Andy Schwartz. You might remember him from being the, one of the economists that worked on the O'Bannon and the Alston case. He's a huge board game junkie too. So he created this resource trading game, which you can play online, which we're going to be doing with extra points readers in the in the near future. You can also get a physical board game where you set around trying to play as a college football coach, trying to recruit the best possible recruiting class using maybe above the board uh, financing booster bucks and less above the board financing, which has certainly never happened in the history of college football recruiting before uh, the uh, the envelopes of cash. Um, I also want to point out here that uh, the, the Kickstarter just went live earlier this week, but they 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 still have some room to actually bring people into the game. Like if you look at some of the playing cards of the game, you might notice that some of the illustrations look like college football personalities that we know. Um, there's a there's a Joel Anderson looking card. There's a, there's 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 a couple of other ones here. There, there's there's some room. So if you want to be able to dunk on somebody by playing the coach with like a, an athletic director with a with a Boston accent, and you want to have your picture on that card and and thoroughly humiliate the other coach across the table from you, 
Now is your chance. You can go get a copy of Envelopes of Cash. And if you're one of the, the higher level Kickstarter sponsors, you can actually be in the game. The link to this is going to be in the show notes. But if you listen to this in your car instead of at your desk like a, like a normal person, you go, go to bit.ly slash EOC EP. So the abbreviation for Envelopes of Cash dash extra points. That's bit.ly slash EOC dash EP. Uh, grab that and grab your copy of Envelopes of Cash today. Um, I think once the tournaments all happen and I, I can kind of maybe finish up a couple of these other reporting projects that I'm working on, rather than uh, playing the same three video games again, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting dumped in a garbage can by, by some of our extra points readers and, and podcast listeners in this game. We've, we've done board game nights a couple of times before. Um, Nicole Arbach, really good at settlers, <laughs> for example. Um, oh, that, is a, that is something I, I did not know. There, there you go. There's, there's, there's a little media gossip. In addition to like breaking every fourth college football story, she's also really good at board games. Um, also want to point out our other longtime sponsor, deep friend of the program, uh, personal, you know, clothetier to the Brown household. I don't think that's a word. Um, whatever. Home field apparel. Um, this week, Brian, have you seen who they're dropping this week? Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a big eight clap. CLA. That's right. I, it's your, your blood enemy, your deepest, most hated rival. I, I know you're making like the fart face right now. This is actually what I was saving all my money for, not just for the Illinois stuff, but I, I'm just a sucker for baby blue man. Oh, it's so and, good. And everything looks good in that, in that color scheme. You know, like uh, AD Martin Jarman, like he always has like the, the kind of coolest like uh, Nike stuff now Now that they're with Nike, you know, for, for their general stuff. And I'm just like thinking like how many of the athletic heart folks at UCLA that I know are just going to be showing up in this home field gear? Like I'm going to make a mental note when I when I see everybody to see, all right, are you in a home field shirt? Are you in a home field shirt? Because it is it is the stuff you, you, need, you need to be waiting for. There, there's a reason this was kind of saved for last. Uh, I, I think that they're going to have a strong closing kick because of that baby blue. Yeah, I, I was teasing this for like five weeks. I wasn't allowed to tell you, but this is the Pac-12 West Coast basketball school that I, I really think that you want to get in on. I'm seeing a teaser for a couple of these designs. I'm going to be sending them a check on Saturday when things uh, are officially opened up. Um, like, yeah, if you work somewhere, you're going to get a bunch of, you're going to wear a bunch of that stuff. But if you're at Wyoming, you know, no disrespect. Well, maybe some disrespect to anybody at Wyoming. Your colors are ugly. It's hard to look good in brown. Um, take it from me. I, 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 I half we I grew up in a Browns household. Like we had a bunch of that stuff. It doesn't look good. It doesn't look good if you're pulling green. There's a lot you can do with UCLA. There's going to be a lot of adorable bears. There's going to be rose content. It's going to be great. If UCLA is not your thing, you're in luck. They sell a bunch of stuff that's not UCLA that looks really good, like West Virginia, which is what I'm wearing, and I will probably continue wearing. We've got, we've got Utah, another 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 fine school. I will probably be wearing this hoodie or my Marquette hoodie until at least next month when this office is, is you know higher than 50 degrees. They've got Illinois. They've got Gonzaga. They've got NC State, which is selling T-shirts of like a horny wolf at an ice cream parlor. It's amazing. Like you 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 want all these things. You can get it at homefieldapparel.com. And when you do, don't pay full price like some kind of dumb idiot. Use our discount code. Use promo code extra points at checkout. If it's your first order, save 15%. Clothe yourself. Clothe your family, clothe your loved ones, clothe your most hated rivals, uh, your blood enemies with soft, interesting, unique, collegiately licensed apparel from our friends. Help support our clothing habit. Um, I really am excited about this. I, I've, I, I, my, my, we got, I have some, you know, weak family ties to UCLA that I'm going to use as an excuse to go buy t-shirts that I don't need, um, or, or maybe another hoodie. Um, Speaking of the Pac-12, there was one other thing that's unrelated to the basketball tournament, but very related to big, gigantic bags of money that I did want to talk to you about. Um, you, I know there's no baseball happening right now, and there might not actually – oh, no, excuse me. There's no professional baseball. There is college baseball. But there, there might not be professional baseball for a minute. But there was still some pretty big baseball news, right? We saw uh, Apple News announced, I think, uh, yesterday that they're going to broadcast – uh major league baseball games whenever those become a thing that happen in this country again right yeah yeah i mean it, it is funny that we're we're in the middle of these labor negotiations you're hearing all the all the talk about it coming out of mlb was like oh we're going to cancel another week of games and then on tuesday obviously there's the apple keynote where they announced a bunch of big products but like right at the kind of beginning of the show tim cook is out there and he was talking about uh hey we're, we're, we're gonna have two uh really the sport first major sports deal that apple has signed uh with mlb 
two games on Friday nights, exclusive to Apple TV Plus, which is, you know, obviously a, a little bit different from some of the other experimentations that we've seen with with MLB. Um, you know, they've had games on YouTube, you know, that that have gone exclusively, but that's obviously a free platform. You know, this is really kind of the first time they've put it behind a true pace paywall. They, they have uh, had the experimentation with Facebook. You know, a lot of leagues have, you know, they, they've kind of been filling out these Silicon Valley companies, but um, I, I think it's notable, you know, look, this is, um, you know, this is a first for Apple, obviously, and, and a first for kind of MLB in terms of their changing media rights negotiations that, um, you know, obviously they have a key regional sports distribution platform that um, there's been a lot of changes going on in that space, uh, you know, a direct consumer product for on that front um, from the Valley sports artisans are, are coming later this year as well. So, you know, certain teams might be able to, instead of paying your cable company, you're able to pay Valley Sports directly and get your MLB games if and if they ever end up getting played. Um, you know, that, that could be, you know, later this year. Obviously, you talk about um, just uh, just the uniqueness of, of Apple getting into the space because we've been talking about it, I don't know, five, six, seven years, talking about the the fangs, the, the Facebook, Apple, uh, Amazon, uh, Netflix, and Google kind of getting involved in sports. And we're kind of starting to see it. First, the Amazon deal in the NFL, now Apple with, with MLB. And I think there's there's some hope that that will carry over to this next cycle in college athletics as the Big Ten, the Pac-12, et cetera, start coming up for a negotiation. That, that's, oh, that's, that's the exact on-ramp here, right? Because uh, uh, I don't think Netflix is likely to get involved in buying live sports rights in the, excuse me, in the near future. I know that they had a lot of success with their F1 documentary, uh, they've reached out now to representatives of a company that I'm certainly not going to talk about on the show uh, to help produce go- golf programming for them. Like I know they're, they're doing, you know, kind of sports bumper content, but they said live sports isn't really what we wanted, what we want to be doing. Facebook's kind of on off again. And, and also, you know, uh, isn't the most brand safe platform that maybe it was seen a, a couple of years ago. I, uh, you know, ESPN has done a lot of terrible things. ESPN hasn't, you know, contributed to overthrowing a government in Myanmar or anything, right? Like the maybe maybe that's not the brand you want to throw your arms around. But there could be some more movement here, and and you're you're exactly right. The the Big Ten is the the major college sports entity that's going to go to market first. Um, that's happening this year. We, we should have some kind of deal. I don't expect the Big Ten to do a deal with Apple because they're going to get a lot of interest from Fox a lot of interest from ESPN and potentially some other very large, you know, conventional linear players, your CBS, your NBC. But if I'm the Pac-12, who I know and you know, and listener, you probably know, has talked with Apple TV before, or potentially the Big 12 in its new reconfigured lineup that will need to find a new flagship partner and maybe won't want to work or won't be able to work with ESPN as much anymore. Maybe this, if isn't this isn't, if this isn't the answer, Maybe it's something to help drive up the price for anybody else or a, a, a component to, to what you're doing before. I mean, are, are we we're not likely to see a major conference park the majority of their rights behind an Apple TV paywall. Right. Or, or is that something that could that could still happen? It, it could. Uh, certainly, I think the Pac-12 would certainly be the most likely to do that. You know, you got to yeah. keep in mind that the Pac-12 is in a much different kind of standpoint from where they're at from a rights perspective than any of the other leagues because they own everything, right? You know, they're, they're basketball media, their entire media company, they, they, they own that. They're taking everything to market. Not necessarily the case with with some of the other sports um, from the Big Ten, who obviously has a relationship with Fox. You know, they they have a the, they share control of that BTN network. And, and obviously, they you know, Fox is a major player. I mean, I, I haven't talked with anybody that does not expect Fox to kind of come out the big winner in terms of Big Ten negotiations. Now, yeah, what kind well, of big, big winner for winning the rights? I mean, yeah. we'll see how, how much you feel about writing a gigantic check. But the Big Big Ten football will almost assuredly be on Fox Sports for the foreseeable future, right? I mean, I, I was I was actually unaware technically, like in terms of you hear the grant of rights, you know, in terms of that being held by somebody, it's actually being held by BTN and, and that company, you know, kind of holding company. So that, that was a, an interesting thing that I learned uh, along the way recently. But you, you look at everything kind of going on in the media space, maybe it's where Fox kind of buys everything for the Big Ten and they sublicense things out to an Apple TV, an Amazon, somebody like that. That That's a possibility to where they, you know, Fox can get the whole thing. They, they've got control over everything. There's one partner that really that the big, you know, Big Ten network has to deal with. Um, you know, that would be appealing for them. And then obviously they're, they're getting help paying for it because they're sublicensing the contract uh, content. That That's exactly what's happening now in terms of some of the basketball games that you see on CBS or whatnot. Those are sublicensed games. You know, the ACC did it forever, you know, where they had things, you know, sublicensed out to Fox Sports or some 
of the regional channels there uh, in, in the Carolinas. The old JPP games. I, I, was, I was about to say, this sounds like Jefferson Pilots music, yes, right? Like the, that's... the old JPP games. Uh, yeah. you know, I think everybody's kind of somewhat familiar with those. I mean, I, you, you know, this is kind of a, a perk of the, the TV industry going back, you know, years now, those, those sub-licensed games. And I think that could maybe see somewhat of a return if you end up getting these kind of holistic media deals done uh, with, with one partner. But uh, it, it's intriguing because you, you're starting to see, obviously, a lot of growth, a lot of talk about content spend from a lot of these companies. I mean, we just came out of the Olympics. NBC has said, you know, it was pretty successful on their end, all things considered, given the time change, given the geopolitical events that, um, you know, they, they did were able to drive some Peacock subscriptions. We've heard about NBC possibly being interested in the Big Ten. You know, if, if, you're, if you're the Big Ten uh, or the Pac-12 even, um, you know, being able to put Maybe it's your, you know women's soccer games on Peacock. Maybe it's some you know something like that. Um, you know could be coming down the pipe. So I think what um, ultimately a lot of these leagues do have to kind of consider not just the the bottom line dollars but exposure. You know I think that's that's the thing that that uh, this MLB deal has kind of brought up is um, yeah you want a lot of money. Everybody wants the, you know the yeah. most money, but you also got to consider especially for college sports. What is my distribution going to be like? What is my availability going to be like? How am I going to be able to get in front of those eyeballs? Um, you know, we, we've talked about it, you know, online and offline b- between the two of us. It's just like if the Big Ten really does leave ESPN, how damaging is that for their brand? Because if you're a sports fan, typically, no, no offense to our friends at Fox, if you're going to, you know, wanting to watch some sports, probably the first place you're going to go is to that ESPN dial on your cable channel or the, the ESPN. World, it's app. the worldwide leader for a reason. Like that, that it's 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 kind of it's it's a brand name like Xerox was for copying machines and Kleenex was for tissues. That's just what uh, uh, almost to that level. Um, I think you're right. The the maybe the the bigger the the question I'm kind of grappling with about all this is who really benefits from it completely. You know, the, the exposure angle versus the, the straight cash angle is very important. It's part of the reason, as I understood it, that the Pac-12 didn't uh, immediately leap to an arrangement with Apple TV before. Apple TV is behind a paywall. Uh, while this, we're getting better about this as consumer behavior is shifting, uh, grandma might need some help getting to Apple TV. But she probably knows how to turn on her television to find her grandson playing football on ESPN. So that's that, that's a thing that coaches at all sports talk about when when they when they recruit. And now that we're in a world where there's like a jillion friggin uh, streaming services and there's some ele- uh, element of consumer fatigue with paying subscriptions, not not subscriptions for extra points, of course, subscriptions for other things. Um, having to buy another thing is anti-consumer and might make it harder for your stuff to be seen. Not that it's that easy to see Pac-12 stuff right now anyway. Um well, I mean, just technically, yeah. too, it's it's a, it's a bit of an issue that conferences have to consider nowadays. It's just yeah. streaming, streaming in general and, and how that is different from sports. I mean, everybody talks about the delays, you know, you get for streaming versus cable. Yeah, yeah. that's one thing, especially if you're live betting, which is which is another avenue. You know, I think a lot of these leagues kind of have to consider um, with yeah. everything going on we'll do that. In, in that space. But uh, to, to me, it's just kind of, you know, if you're in the Big Ten country, um, let's face it, you know, broadband access in rural Nebraska is not quite what it is in the middle of Chicago or, or other parts, you know, parts of your footprint. Yeah. Right? Or for that matter, northern California or parts of west uh, of eastern Oregon. Um, rural, rural America in general does not have great broadband access. As, but you're, you're right, especially in parts of the Big 12 and the, and the Big Ten footprint. I mean, if you go over uh, an example over from uh, across the pond in Italy, you know, DAZN, uh, you know, took over Serie A rights. You know, there was a lot of issues that, you know, Italian sports fans were having with, you know, watching their soccer games because they were streaming versus being on cable and and having that, uh, you know, dealing with outages and dealing with, you know, certainly having the, the unreliability of, of some of the broadband providers. You know, I think that is, uh, you know, something you got to consider, you know, just a, the bad user experience that you can have sometimes. Yeah, it, it can be great when everything works. But if your you know, your speed is too slow, or you just can't get it on your TV like you normally want, to, um, that that's going to be a problem for some fans, and they could turn off turn off a lot of folks. You know, yeah, I could drive them to the stadium as well because they don't want to deal with that streaming streaming experience at home. And, and yeah, I'd rather just go watch it in person. But I think that's going to be a small uh, select uh, number because uh, it, it's something that everybody's dealing with. You know, even even the major companies, yeah. I mean, the the Disney's and the Netflixes of the world, this is something they're constantly thinking about. How how can we make sure that we have our product 
be delivered to the end, end consumer, not only the same across kind of everybody, but, um, you know, in, in those tricky spots. And I, I don't think anybody, um, you know, really has a great solution yet. I mean, you look at the Super Bowl, you look at some of these big time streaming events, it still pales in comparison to what a normal basketball game might get uh, on, on ESPN. You know, I think you're talking about three or four times the audience size. And we've, so we've, we've, we've talked about that, if, if not, if not much more than that, like what we've, I think we, we've, we've said this exact thing on, on this show before, but you look at the ESPN plus numbers for even a good mid-major basketball game or some FCS football games, buddy, it's less people that open up a typical extra points email. It is four figures, um, sometimes less than that. And that can be, that's still attractive on some level for the broadcaster because you got great consumer data on those people and you can maybe monetize them in a, in a different way. But brother, if you got 4,000 people watching a broadcast, like there's there's you're you're limited in a, in a lot of things and that may be the case even for some Pac-12 stuff that you that you put behind there. I don't know the right answer. I'm I'm, I'm not gonna sit here at my desk and say like the Pac-12 should definitely do X, Y, or Z. And I, I I've never watched a sporting event on Apple on Apple TV. Um, if I can admit to something, I've never actually used Apple TV. I pirated my my my, my Ted Lasso episodes. Uh, I, I watched them with Cyrillic subtitles uh, somewhere else because I didn't want to pay for another thing. I'm sure it's lovely. Um, may you know maybe if more of you guys subscribe to the newsletter, I would have the money to blow on Apple TV. But I'm I'm trying to be judicious right now. I don't know what's going to look like. I have I have a general idea what what production quality looks like across ESPN Plus for for mid and low majors and P5s. I don't know. It's, it it will be. I, I'm 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 very interested in, in learning more about their corporate goals in this space and what the non big 10 leagues are going to do. Cause the big 10 is going to be fine. You're going to be able to find Iowa football. Big 10 is going to make, you know, more money than, than, you know, Uruguay uh, on, on, on their deal. And it's not going to change anything, but it's going to be great for those schools. I don't know what's going to happen to Wazoo or Oregon state or Utah in the next couple of years, but that's why we have this podcast. That's why, yeah. have, that's why you have extra points. Yeah, and, and the flip side, too, for some of those schools, especially in the Pac-12, where there's there's some unique time zone challenges. I think we're, we're all aware of that. But, like, you know, a lot of those schools, they might end up getting a little bit less, but they might have more control over when their games kick off. I mean, that was a good. Also huge. Yeah, you know, that was a big part of the the old ESPN SEC deal is that now that allows them to kind of set out kick out kickoff times, you know, way further in advance than they normally would with multiple broadcast partners, multiple broadcast windows, um, you know, a little bit more control from kind of the conference scheduling perspective. And that's attractive to schools. Yeah, they're getting a big old check, uh, you know, on, on the front end as well. But, you know, giving up, you know, the ability to kind of control when your games kick off. Um, you know, I know that's been a big source of frustration, not just in the big 10, but the Pac-12 and the, and the, and the big 12. Everywhere. Uh, and yeah. I would imagine that's going to be key in a future deals. Uh, not just maybe this, these immediate, you know, four to 10 year deals uh, that, are, that are coming up. But I, I think for, for long term, you know, you could see maybe more of a return to a lot more games kicking off, you know, at noon Eastern in, in that window, just because there's, there's the bandwidth, right? You have the, you know, you're limited right now in terms of your TV windows. It used to be, uh, you only had games, you know, on, on NBC once, once a Saturday. Now you had the, all the broadcast networks going in and now you had ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN, uh, U, you know, and then FS1, FS2, you know, like we've had these additional cable channels and, and certainly the conference networks are a big part of it. They've opened up some some windows here and there, but um, and it's also pushed a lot of things to prime time, pushed a lot of things late uh, where, where teams don't want to, to do that from a fan experience standpoint. And maybe maybe the return of and, and taking that off of TV and kind of out of that TV window uh, clutch, um, you know, I think you, you might be uh, kind of put more towards where, hey, we can move it to noon and, and it's not going to matter because everybody can can flip it on their phone. It's, it's streaming. Yeah. It's, it's funny you mention that. I know that clearly not everybody loved the Colonial Athletics deal with Flow Sports. Uh, talk to anybody at James Madison, whether that's their athletic director or any of their fans. They hated it. Um, they probably didn't get as much money as they could have potentially gotten. But when I talked to both the conference office and people at some other schools, this was one of the biggest reasons why they wanted to do it. It wasn't just about maximizing pure money. It was we can kick off whenever we want. Um, which uh, even on the East Coast to, to, to you know to squeeze things around, maybe Virginia Tech or whatever BC or Notre Dame's doing or, or something else, the Red Sox, that makes some sense. Um, I don't know the complete answer yet, but these are definitely things worth paying attention to. You can find out uh, more information about not just the nuts and bolts of what the NCAA tournaments are going to look like moving forward, but uh, some developments and analysis of the uh, college sports television industry. 
on Collegiate Sports Connect. Brian, I know you did a, an interview recently that we're gonna talk about in the show notes a little bit um, with some experts about what's happening with some of these media rights negotiations. I know you and I are working on a couple other things that aren't quite ready for prime time yet. In this world, Collegiate Sports Connect, good place to catch up on, on some of this other background information. And, and I'm told you can sign up for free, right? Completely free, you know, go ahead and sign up uh, there for an account. So you can not only watch our videos, but uh, we're, we're cranking them out uh, daily. Uh, you know, a lot of insights into the industry that uh, maybe you certainly do not get anywhere else. I mean, you know, where else are you going to get, uh, you know, breakdowns of AD jobs and stuff like that, but but also bigger industry terms, you know, like like these Big Ten media rights and, and where the conference goes, where companies like Fox and, and, and ESPN and, and NBC, CBS, where, where they are kind of viewing uh, the, these rights negotiations. We have stuff on that. Uh, obviously, it's tournament time, so we're going to be talking about all that we also have some football stuff going on uh you know we're not just uh, basketball centric we've we've talked with uh people about the spring games uh talking with somebody about the you know kind of the bull industry they, they've got a big meeting uh coming up to uh discuss kind of where where they're going from here and so uh, a lot, lot going on you know a lot going on in this space you've talked with nil experts you know which is obviously a hot button topic uh and an ever-changing topic as well that uh, we hopefully are keeping abreast uh, on on collegiate sports connect that's right. I, I, I just finished a video also talking to some experts in building and maintaining excellent student sections. So if you're wondering why the student section attendance at your favorite school sucks, uh, maybe this video, which we'll include in the uh, link to the notes as well, may give you some information. You can, of course, also find all of this stuff uh, with Extra Points, which is a newsletter you're probably already subscribed to. But just in case you're not, that's at extrapointsmb.com. That is our bell cow that publishes five days a week unique reporting, analysis, insights throughout the college sports industry from the Power Five down to the NAIA. Um, we're excited about what's happening there too. And of course, if you enjoy this show, and if you're listening to this point in the broadcast, I think you do, tell your friends, write a five-star review on Apple or Spotify or anywhere else that people can review podcasts. Tweet about it a couple of times. Maybe throw it on Reddit if you hang out on Reddit or on 247 if you hang out on 247 or or in your church bulletin, if that's a thing that you have responsibility for. Anywhere that you can let people know about what we're doing, that helps us find other people, which helps then make home fields and envelopes of cash and other partners more money, which means we can do more podcasts, which means everybody uh, is happy. Which is all, Isn't that what we're all trying to be right now? We're just trying to be happy, right? We, we, got a, we, got a, we got a long season ahead of us, a long year. Let's go make some fun stuff. We'll do it together. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch up with you on the internet in a couple of days. 